wonderful presence of the Lord that's here today. It is a great privilege to be preaching at this church with, this, with the great history that this church has. And uh, I, have, I have long, long been an admirer of the things that are happening in this church and your leadership. And so I am deeply humbled and privileged to be preaching to you. If you want to get your Bibles out, however you may be accessing Scripture today, we're going to read some Scripture. We're going to read Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. And then we're going to go together to Genesis 37, verses 3 through 4, and 23 and 24. <clears throat> While you're turning, I just want to say very quickly, uh, I want to just give some honor for a few moments, if that's alright with you. Uh, I just want to say what a great privilege it is to be preaching behind this pulpit. You have a prolific. Plur, plur, <laughs> prolific. It's been two weeks of camp. Don't judge me. <laughs> I can Listen, that's like three syllables. It's, it's getting a little difficult here. You have a prolific ministry in Pastor Joel Urshan. And you are blessed with the leadership that you have at this church. Uh, it is truly an honor to be preaching in his pulpit, and uh, I do not take it lightly. Even in his absence, I wanted to make sure that we honored him, his wife, and his family. We love his family, his two girls. We love them, Sophia and Anna, two of our favorites at camp. We love them. And then uh, our bishop, Bishop Buller, who's been very good to me over the years, lots of boat rides at the Ohio District, District Campgrounds. We love you, Brother Bowler. Thank you for your years of sacrifice. We honor you. We honor you. And then people that have, I just, I mean, I'm, I, I love Pastor Urshan, but I'm really thankful that he brought the Kovach family to this church because you are blessed with great youth pastors. Tyler and Caitlin are two great people. We love them very much. It's very rare. This is how much we believe in him. It's very rare that somebody would come in for one year and then we would put him in charge of an entire dorm. Um, but because of his impeccable character and his willingness to be a team player, after one year we made him a dorm supervisor because, number one, we just like him a lot and they're really nice. They're good people. And, uh, and he is just... Uh, really did a great job last week and uh, they are they are great people and we love them very much we love them very much don't you love your youth pastor amen Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 <clears throat> I feel like the Lord has given me a word this morning to share with you uh, and I want to say thank you I know this church and your pastor has reached out to me we had a little girl born, and I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. We had a little girl that was born, and uh, he reached out to me and let me know that the church was praying. And so I want to say thank you for praying for my little girl. We're going to talk about her for a little bit this morning, but my wife is not able to be here. We, have, we also have a rambunctious three-year-old, and, um, and so she's a little sick this morning. And so uh, I, uh, they were not able to come, but my wife greets you, and maybe next time. The reason why people like me is because she's so cool. <laughs> so it really helps when my wife is here because people tend to like me more when my wife is around. Uh, she is very sweet and I love her and hopefully you'll get to meet her someday. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 to everything. Everyone say everything. everything. There is a season and a time to every purpose. I'm going to say every purpose. Under the heaven. To everything, there is a season. Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4 says this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him could not speak peaceably unto him. Meaning they got in a lot of arguments. King James. 
And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. Are we there? Okay. And there was no water in it. Joseph had a promise. He had a destiny on his life. But before he got to the promise, he had to go through a pit. I'm going to try that one again. That one was pretty good. Before he got to the promise, he had to go through a pit. And sometimes in our world, and I'm going to preach through it for a little while, sometimes to get where God needs us to be, we've got to go through a place where there's nothing else but Him. If I could just have a little bit more monitor, my voice is slowly fading. I I didn't realize I had a voice problem until I started driving this morning, of course, I don't talk to myself a whole lot. I was driving down the road this morning. I called my wife and can barely get words out. So if I could just get a little, two weeks of camp, I'll do that to you. But, uh, but let's just lay our Bibles down, our phones down. I tell you what, why don't you, if it's appropriate, and why don't you grab your neighbor's hand and let's just spine together here for a moment. We're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us for a few moments. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your, your presence and, you, and in your house. God, I pray that you would anoint our hearts, anoint our minds to hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. God, you've given me a burden to preach to these people today. I pray that you would bless us to hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. Anoint my heart, anoint my mind to speak as you would have me to speak. Anoint us to hear what you would say to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them, give them them the old Pentecostal finger and tell them there's a reason for your season. You may be seated. It's a common misconception. A myth that many of us can buy into very quickly and very easily to believe. We hear it in different types of preaching, on different types of mediums, all across, all different forms. We hear it, you know, we get those 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 preachers that have, and I'm not saying I'm not saying this is negative, but you get these guys on Facebook with, you know, three minute clips of saying something in cool skinny jeans and a. Let me let me let me just stop and say something here. Well, it's just, here's the deal. If you miss, if you start to buy into some of that stuff, some of it I'm sure is fine, but hear me. When you start to listen to that stuff and it starts to contradict what your pastor preaches and what the Word of God says, just because it sounds cute on three minutes on Facebook doesn't mean it's from God. I know that's not popular preaching, but I want the whole word of God. I don't want somebody just to get on Facebook and tell me something for a few minutes and I think it's truth, but I want the word of God. I want to be in church every Sunday. I want to hear what the Lord says to us every chance that I can get. We hear it, though, by people that say things like, you know, they just bat their eyes so nicely and they they say things like that God just wants us to be happy and you know, because He wants us to be happy that we'll have everything that we've ever desired and everything that we've ever wanted. Happiness is equated by these folks, by how much money you have in the bank or what types of possessions you have. They say, or they a lot of times will definitely infer that if we have a relationship with God or a quote-unquote real relationship with God, that we'll be blessed and we'll have everything we've ever desired. And it's a convenient Christianity with a very easily accessible thought that if I serve God, I'll have lots of things. If I live for God, I'll never feel pain. 
if I live for God, I'll never feel stressed. Now, here's the deal. Anybody that has ever said that, quote, well, I'm too blessed to be stressed, they were obviously never a college student or a youth pastor. Because I've been blessed, but I've been stressed. Do I have anybody in the room? Come on. I've been stressed every now and then. But hear me. If that's true, then most of us in this room are probably wretched sinners. Because I've dealt with some things. And I've lived for God, but I've felt some pain. I've felt some stress. Maybe it's just me. I've dealt with some things. I've felt some pain. I've felt some stress before. But here's the thing that we have to understand. I'm getting ready to go somewhere. I'm just sort of laying a foundation. They say in the first five minutes they don't listen to you anyway, so I'm just telling you this stuff, and we'll get into the good stuff here in a minute. (laughs) Hear me. Kingdom values are the exact opposite of world values. Significance in God's kingdom does does not happen from climbing up a corporate ladder, but it comes from serving. Scripture says that he that loses his life will find it. And I may not have a bunch of possessions, and I may not have a bunch of things, and I may not have everything that I've ever desired, but that does not mean that God doesn't care about me. I uh, have a friend... I don't know if I should call him a friend, but I have a friend. I have a friend that tells me that sarcasm is the lowest form of humor. And, uh, but I just had to look at him one day and I was like, that's all I got, so you're just going to have to deal with me. And uh, I read a while ago, here's the deal. Facebook is good for two things. For me, personally, I don't know, it just testifies to me sometimes. Here's why. Number one, it lets me know that I'm not the worst speller in the world. Really helps my spirit. And then it also lets me know. Can I just be real with y'all for a few minutes? It also lets me know that I'm not the dumbest person in the world. Like if I need a little self-esteem boost, I'm just going to log in and find that one person, you know, and just make myself feel a little better about myself, you know. Hey, listen, I might not have everything together, but at least I ain't that guy. And so I... Logged in and I saw a, a post by an apostolic and that said this. God doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to go through pain. And he wants our life to be perfect. And he just wants us to be happy. <laughs> How cute. You ever have that moment where you're reading something and you get like the devil and the angel on the shoulders. And you're thinking, should I say something or should I not? That's was in that moment. I hate to say it was a few years ago. I hate to say it was a few years ago, but uh, I listened to the devil in that moment. This guy. And so I just wrote back and replied, tell Joseph that. And then I stopped and started thinking to myself, and then I said, maybe I should stop typing, but here we go again. I said, tell Paul that. I said, better yet, tell anybody that's ever been used in ministry that. You see, the problem is, is that if we think it's good, then it's from God. And if it's bad, then it's from the devil. But I've come to let somebody know in this room that there is, just because you're going through some things in your world, it does not mean God's judgment, and it does not mean God's absence. It means that it's God's pursuance. It means that God is using... Eight short months ago, my wife and I welcomed our second child into the world. And uh, she had made the decision, not me, but she had made the decision that we wanted to be surprised by the sex of our child. Moms, if you're considering doing that to your husband, please just reconsider. And it was almost this time last year that we, during our camps actually, that we had started to have some complications. And uh, my wife was unable to, as an evangelist, you know, you try to bring your wife with you as much as you can. And uh, we had had some complications. 
she had had some hemorrhaging for a few months before the pregnancy that had really started about around this time last year. We had gone back and forth on what was happening, and, and, but there was a, an abruption in my wife's stomach that was about four centimeters long, which what is into the placenta which connects the baby to the, protects the baby from the body around it or the, the internals around it. There was a rip that happened that was typically, they're about four centimeters. And uh, we watched the Lord, what we thought the Lord healed her and everything was good. And uh, <clears throat> she had had some more severe bleeding for a while after that. And uh, the doctors came on October 6th at 2 a.m. You know when your wife wakes you up at 2 a.m., you know it better be serious. <laughs> at six, eight, or October 6th at 2 a.m., I woke up to my wife telling me that, we had had, that she had had contractions just about every four minutes. What we knew at that time, though, was that date or the day before, October 5th, that my wife had turned 23, or my, my baby girl had turned 23 weeks old. She was 23 weeks and one day. What the doctors call the day of viability at 23 weeks. I knew that, and they said, and even then, it's typically about one-fourth of babies survive at 23 weeks. And if they don't survive, or if they do survive, there is a high likelihood that there will be tremendous brain bleeds and severe disabilities. I remember praying, driving to Columbus in my Jeep and driving behind that squad. She was rushed, praying and hoping that somehow there would be a way to stop the contractions. What we had found out was instead of just a four centimeter tear, that her entire placenta was ripped completely open. And what I found out later, or what I found out as I was leaving the hospital in Zanesville, my doctor said, you're going to probably have to make a decision between your wife, the baby. Because it's very likely that she, that if they do not fix this, and uh, we have been very close. She said, Anthony, I need you to understand that if they do not fix this, you will lose one or the other. Driving by myself to Columbus, we had found out that if that, that had not had happened, we would have. That if we would not have fixed this or Sadie would have stayed at home, that we would have lost, absolutely lost both of them. Because what was happening was, is my wife was bleeding out from the inside. And my daughter was ingesting and being suffocated by it. We were encouraged to give comfort care to our baby and the doctors pulled us off to the side and explained to us for about 20 minutes in the middle of about 30 medical professionals in and out of that room. She'd encouraged us because of the, 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 the she said, you've got a 10% chance of this baby even making it out of the operating room at this point because of the circumstances. She said, you've got about a 10% chance for the baby to make it out of the operating room. And she said, and if that happens, there is a strong likelihood. She said, I would put it at 60 to 70% that within the first three days she'll have brain bleeds or the baby will have brain bleeds and we will not be able to uh, help those or fix those and that it will cause her strong mental disabilities the rest of her life. She told us about all of her issues that were going to take place in her body and everything that has happened that lungs could not develop and that she would be mentally developed or she would be mentally stunted and all these different things. But we had a name. We were actually driving home from camp and I pulled my me and my wife sat down to the side and you hear the conversation. Can I just, I'm just being transparent here for y'all for a few moments here. My wife and I sat down and we had a conversation. And I hear things like all the time I hear. You know, we just you know, as expecting parents, and I said it. We just want our baby to be healthy. Well, and you know, if, if that there is an issue or, 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 you know, we really don't mind what sex the baby is, but we just want the baby to be healthy. But I remember looking at my wife, and I remember telling her, babe, I really want the baby 
that God has for us. And if we have a baby with challenges or if we have something that we don't quite understand and if we have to, and even said it, if we have an extended hospital stay, I just want the baby that God wants to give us and I want to be a steward of the life that the Lord wants to give us. Having no idea that in that same conversation, I sat down and she said, well, what would you like to name the baby? And so we went back for a few names and we had a boy name and a girl name picked out. I knew it was going to be a girl. It was the first time in five and a half years of marriage that I was right. And I said, and my wife turned to me and she said, what do you think about the name Vivi? I said, what do you think about the name of something else? I said, I'm not crazy about that one. So we started picking out names and I went and then just something, something quickened in me and I don't know how to explain it, but I thought, you know, I kind of like that. I said, just, just Vivi, right, babe? Oh, yeah, just, just Vivi. I'm like, not Vivian or anything like that? No, just Vivi. Okay. So I said, let's, let's look it up. This is before we ever had a complication. The complication started right after, actually. I said, let's look it up and let's find out what that, what that means. And when I went and looked up her name, it means this, life. So when the doctors say, listen, you need to throw this life away. And listen, you just need to wrap this baby up. We looked right back at her and we said, no, her name is going to be Vivi. And Vivi means life. And so we want every chance for this baby girl to live. Because before a complication ever started, before we ever had it, we had a promise. And before we ever went through the pit, we had a promise that she was going to have life. And her name meant life. I've come to preach to somebody in this room that the Lord has given you a word and the Lord has told you that he's going to take care of you. And sometimes you've got to go through a pit to get to your promise. And sometimes you're going to deal with some pain to get to where God needs you to be. I sat nervously in the room that day. As I saw dozens of doctors and nurses and medical professionals come in and out of the room, I watched as Sadie and my wife would just shake from compounding of fear and medicine and all these different things. I watched as she just started to shake uncontrollably. They tried to give her as much medicine as they could. And I cannot explain to you as a father, our job is to take care of, of our family. Our job is to be the one that fixes the issues and fixes everything and I cannot explain to you what it was like to know that I could not fix what was happening in front of me. Then I sat in that room as I noticed things were starting to become a fever pitch and things were starting to get pretty intense and I listened as one of the nurses and the nurse practitioners started to scream, we don't have a heartbeat! The heartbeat is gone. We've got to take this baby right now. We've got to take this baby right now. We don't have a heartbeat. And I watched as they rushed my wife into an emergency C-section. And they took her in that room. And as soon as I got in, I watched as they took. And I watched literally blood clots. An innumerable amount of blood clots come and fall off of my little girl. I watched as what I thought was their way of just letting her rest. Because they put... They put her in a trash bag. And I watched as she laid lifeless. And in that day, and in that moment, I didn't care who saw me, and I talked about this at camp, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell this church. I didn't care who saw me, and I didn't care who looked at me. I immediately went into praying and interceding for my little girl. Why? And I had all these medical professionals around me. You want, and I don't care what somebody thinks about me. I didn't care what somebody was judging me. I didn't care their education level. I didn't care what they thought about me. I was just going to get a hold of God. And I've come to preach to somebody in this room. Every time that you walk into this house, there's a miracle that wants to be birthed in you. Every time that you walk into the house of God, there's something that God wants to do inside of you. But sometimes it's going to take us just getting a little desperate. Just saying, I don't care who looks at me. I don't care who judges me. I don't care what they think about me. I've come to get a hold of Jesus. I've come to touch the throne room of God. Clap your hands and give the Lord some praise in this room.
I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. I sat. I sat. I remember. I ran into the shower after a couple days. It's, it's like the one time in my life I'm not ashamed to admit I didn't take a shower for a day or so. I jumped in the shower. And I remember. I remember she grabbing my face. I'm like pinching myself because I'm thinking, is this, is this really happening? This doesn't, nothing like this has ever happened to me. I can't. And I remember just sobbing. Saying, God, I trust you to heal her. I trust you to take care of Vivi. God, I trust you to provide for her. I trust that you're going to heal her. I trust you're going to do this. I trust you're going to do that. And then immediately in my mind, my mind went back to the memory that God said when I made the promise to my wife and as we talked. That I just want to be the steward of the Reese of the baby or the, the life that God has given me. So I started praying, God, I trust you that you're going to do this. I trust you that you're going to do that. Then the Lord spoke to me. He said this. Do you trust me? And I said, Lord, yes, I, I trust you. I trust you that you're going to take care of her. I trust, I trust you, Lord, in this situation. And he said this, and this is really what changed the perspective of the rest of our eight months in the hospital, or our seven and a half months in the hospital. Those next few, few months, he said, Anthony, do you trust me that I trust you to take care of the life that I've given you to be a steward over? And you hear me in this room right now. I might not even get to the rest of this message, but you hear me in this room right now. That God has allowed some of you to go through the things that you're going through. Not because he despises you. Not because he wants to hurt you. But because he wants to show you that I trust you. And I trust you to live for me. And I trust you to walk with me. And I trust you. Paul writes in Corinthians. 12 verses 6 through 8. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear. Lest any man sh should think above me that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan. Watch. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Go ahead and show the next verse. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Some of you walked in this room and you're addicted to drugs. And some of you have walked in this room and you're addicted to things that you don't want to be addicted to. And you're wondering why God would allow it to happen. Let me tell you something. It's not God sending those things, but it's the devil. But those things that the devil meant to hurt you and those things that the devil meant to destroy you are really the things that will push you closer to God. They're really the things that'll lead you closer to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. I wish there was somebody in this room that's, that has a resolution and a declaration that says, I don't care what I'm going through. I don't care what I'm experiencing. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. See, the happiness that we have does not have to be contingent upon the situations that we're in. First, or Philippians 4 and 7 says this, And the peace of God, watch, which passes understanding. Peace, hear me. Peace begins where understanding ends. You see, peace passes understanding. See, when you can figure it out and you can control it and you can make sure that everything's taken care of and you can provide and you can do this, that's when Jesus says real peace becomes where you can't control it and you can't fix it. But he said, let me get you on the other side of understanding. Let me get you on the other side of your control. And that's when I'll do my best work. And that's when I'll give you my best peace. And that's when I'll give you your best understanding. Paul being persecuted by Agrippa. 
Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Acts 26, verses 1 and 2, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. Paul looks at his situation dead in the face. He looks at the one judging him straight in the eye. And he had a a, a moment of a strong backbone when he said, I think myself happy King Agrippa. Because when he understood that they may look at him, they may judge him, but they will not ultimately destroy him. And it was a decision that Paul made. You may be judging me. You may be looking down on me. You may be thinking that I'm less than, but I think myself happy. I make the choice to be victorious. I make the choice that no matter what I'm in, I choose to trust him. When did Jesus ever say that we're exempt from suffering? I'm probably going to be a bad evangelist this morning. Come tonight. We're going to have a shouting service. But we're going, we're going to make a connection to God here in a few moments. I'll probably be a bad, bad evangelist when I say this. But, you know, a good evangelist like, your blessings are on the way. <laughs> Leave it to the guy from Zanesville to say, bad things are coming. Because in our mindset, we equate what makes us feel good with that which is from God. What, what, what makes us comfortable is from God. I'm going to prove it to you. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. I am a church sign connoisseur. I got the job of changing the church sign at our church when I was like 15 and it took me to be an evangelist to get out of changing it. (laughs) Oh, congratulations on being a youth president. Go change the sign. (laughs) So I would do everything. I I would make the worst church signs I could possibly put up there. Autumn leaves, God doesn't. I'd put up there, honk if you love Jesus. Our neighbors were going to sue us. I did everything I could. So every time I drive past a church sign, I want to see what cheesy quote it would be so I could use it and get fired. Looked up at this church sign and it said this. Spring is a gift from God. You ever notice when we start out prayer in the service, we'll say, oh, Lord. You know, when, you know, right after we get out of winter and then it just, for us, it just turned immediately into summer. But you get that one good Sunday, the first Sunday after winter. You know what I'm talking about? That's a great Sunday. Kids are easier to get out of bed. You don't have to put 75 layers on. Oh, you parents know what I'm talking about. So, so I just start to thinking to myself. So, or, so they'll get up and they'll say, you know, Lord, thank you for this beautiful spring day that you've given us. Lord, we want to just say thank you for this beautiful day. You know what I've never heard? Thank you, Jesus, for these 75 inches of snow, God. God, I just, Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, that we went to the store last night and there was no milk or bread. Father God, thank you for your miracles. <laughs> spring is a gift from God. What's winter? Like, did, the, did, 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 did Satan and Jesus just sit down and have a little conversation? Now listen, Satan, I'm, I'm going to take spring, summer, the first two weeks of fall, when girls post pictures of wearing boots when it's 60 degrees outside, sipping a pumpkin spice latte, even though they really don't need to. I'll, I'll, I'll take that, but you, you can have the rest. You can have winter, Satan. Why? Because we think if it makes me comfortable then we need to thank God for it. I've never heard anybody say, thank you, Jesus, for this winter. But winter is when strength, here's tree of life, winter is when strength goes to the roots. 
And some of you in this room, I feel like preaching to somebody right now. I hope y'all help me here for a few moments. And some of you in this room, you're going through a little bit of winter and you're going through a little bit of circumstances. And have you ever stopped to just say to everything there is a season, to every purpose under heaven, God, thanks for letting me put down roots. I don't understand what I'm dealing with. I don't understand what I'm going through, but I'm going to put down some roots right now. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. See, see, when you don't get strong roots, it's easy to produce fruit, but it's not easy to withstand a storm. Because when you go through winter, I wish there were some people in this room that had a resolute decision that says that even though I may be going through winter, I'm not going to despise the season that I'm in. Even though I'm going through some things right now that I don't understand, it's my chance to plant deeper roots. Because when the devil tries to move me, when the devil tries to send a storm, I'm standing flat-footed. Devil! I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving. I'm not walking away. Because what you've sent to destroy me, God's going to use to bless me. And what you've sent to to destroy me, God's going to use to elevate me. One more time, give give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this room. I hope I'm helping you right now. I know this isn't a fancy message, but I'm trying to get you somewhere that says that even though I've got to deal with some pain, it doesn't mean that God has just forgot about me. Genesis 14, 18 through 23. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the high, was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be of the most be the most high God, which had delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave them the tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me, watch, Melchizedek, type of Christ. Now all of a sudden, the king of Sodom, the representation of the world, comes to Abram and says, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. You notice the devil always isn't going to come to you just to bless, bless you. But he's always going to come to you with a trade-off. And Abram, that, that'll preach, but we're going to move on. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Watch, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I made Abram rich. Abram accepted the blessing of the king of Salem, which was later Jerusalem, but denied the blessing of the king of Sodom. Why? Because he understood it may feed my flesh, but it won't edify my future. It might make me feel good now. It might give me instant gratification right now. But is it going to make my future better? Young person, that girlfriend or boyfriend may feed your desire for companionship. But what is it at the cost of? That job may be exactly what you need financially, but what about spiritually? Hear me. Because our purpose is more important than our present. Musicians, you can come. I'm concluding. And let us be weary. Or let us not be weary, Galatians 6 and 9. And well-doing. For in due season. We shall reap what? If we faint not. Let's stand. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. 
I'm not trying to use myself as a personal example. I'm just trying to share my testimony with you when I say this. We very easily could have just wrapped our little girl up and watched her fade away and try again. Because there was a storm. But because we did, now she's home. And she hasn't had one brain bleed. Her lungs are doing well. Come on, because when Jesus makes a promise, he keeps it. She was at camp all last two weeks, and they said that she wouldn't even be home before her first birthday. Because when Jesus gives a promise, Some of you in this place may be going through a time where there's no blessing and uh, things are barren and you don't know how you're going to make it. But you hear me? Don't be weary while you're putting down roots. But there is a reason for your season. And you might be going through winter right now, but don't worry, spring's coming. You might be dealing with some pain right now, but don't worry, spring's coming. Faith is easy when you know the end. Psalm 73, 16 and 17. When I sought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went until I went into the sanctuary of God. Watch. Then I understood. That word sanctuary there means maketawesh which means a consecrated thing or place. What he was saying there was, is until I found a place of consecration with God, everything was out of control. But when I got things right with Jesus, all of a sudden the pieces started to unfold. I was preaching in the church. We were praying, asking God to move. Church secretary came up to me. She said, Anthony, I want prayer for my husband. We're, we're going, supposed to be going on a cruise. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary. Right now he's in the hospital and the doctors have said he has congestive heart failure. And he may not even make it out of here. They said, as a matter of fact, it was likely. And if he does make it out, his quality of life is going to be terrible. said well let's pray and we went and got a handkerchief and we laid hands on it we anointed it with oil and we went she took it back I didn't think anything about it so the next morning I showed up in the office and she said get over here preacher she's just kind of people that you know if they want to talk to you you're like so I said what's what's going on she said you know we prayed and I said yeah I remember She said, I went there, and I put that under his pillow. I didn't tell anybody I did it. I just went and put that prayer cloth under his pillow. She said, and I can't explain it. She said, but the doctors came in and did a breathing treatment. She said, they had to do a breathing treatment every three hours. Breathing, breathing, breathing treatment. Because what I didn't know at the time was he also had pneumonia. Congestive heart failure, you're coupled with pneumonia. I'm sure probably some of you know that that's not a recipe for good things. She said, can I tell you after they did that breathing treatment, it's been an entire 24 hours and he has not had a breathing treatment since. I said, thank, thank you, Sister Betty. That's awesome. That's great. I said, I'll, I'll see you. I got to I'm going I'm to get, she said, get back over here. I said, what's going on? She said, the doctors came in this morning. And they started listening to him and they said, all right, well, he can go home. She said, he can go home. She said, he had congestive heart failure. This is a heart specialist. And she said, what? She said, the doctor went and listened to her heart, to his heart again. He said, 
I've seen the x-rays that we just did and I just listened to his heart and there's no sign of heart failure whatsoever. Because when Jesus steps on the scene, miracles can happen. When Jesus steps into the wor- into your world, things that you never thought could happen can happen. Can I tell you they went on that 50th anniversary cruise and he's still doing well today. Until I went. I've gone too long. I'm sorry. Until I went into the sanctuary. I'm going to tell you one last story and then I'm done. I was, my wife and I had been praying. Trying to give you some real world examples of this, if that's all right. My wife and I had been praying for Papa for a long time. 98 years old. He was an absolute mess. I watched this cancer started to ravage his body and bones started to fall. You could just see the bones through his skin. I watched as he was barely coherent. But one day he reached up and he looked at my wife and my mother-in-law and he said this. Some of you folks who have been around a while will know what I'm talking about here in a minute. He was saying, Charts, the charts, get the chart, charts. He said, Take me to the water. Take me to the water. So we called my pastor. So we called my pastor. He and I went to go pray. And we laid hands, and you just know, you know when somebody's, you know when somebody knows. When you pray a prayer and somebody's in the truth you feel that you know what I'm talking about there's a difference we started praying and the pastor said I just feel this you feel that familiar feeling I said I do I said that's that's odd he's never been to church he's never even came so we looked at Nana that's a whole other story maybe I'll tell you tonight we looked at Nana and we said what, what, what does he have any background in church at all she said you know I haven't thought about it for years. But he said he went to a church when he was younger that the lady that raised him would take him to. He said the ladies were always dressed so nice and modest. And they would always take laps and run around the church. And they'd say funny words that he never understood. Because all the way back, somewhere, Somebody had been praying for him before I ever knew or we ever knew that there was an issue. God had made a promise that he was going to, to my wife and I, that he was going to, that he was going to save Papa. We knew that he had days left to live. And I said, Pastor, what does the charts mean? He said, very likely. He said, well, as a matter of fact, now that you mentioned if he went to church, he said they would take charts and put them up against the wall. Does anybody remember that? They put the charts on the wall. That was before we had pretty cool all these cool pictures and they take charts and they put them on the wall I'm getting ready to conclude but here's I'm just trying to prove to you something here I walked back in that room and I said Papa you want to be baptized don't you and I looked at a man that could barely get words out and I watched as he looked up at me tears started streaming down his face he said there's an angel take me to the water I see angels Take me to the water. And I watched as we picked him up, barely, not even able to move. And I watched him as we laid him in that baptistry. And we could barely get him under the water. And he just, we couldn't get him under. Finally, I looked at my dad who was helping me baptize him. And I said, you know what? I said, he's done everything that we can. We've we've done it right. And I watched as he lifted up his hand other hand and he kept saying in Jesus name in Jesus name and I wa- and then we took our hand one more time and he pushed himself under that water and I watched as we pulled him out and he started to have tears streaming down his face can I tell you that he died just a few days later because when Jesus steps on the scene 
I don't know who you are today, and I don't know what you're dealing with, but what I can tell you is that you can be filled with His Spirit before you leave here today, that you can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost before you... Because when Jesus steps on the scene, that's when miracles happen! I know it looks bleak. Every hand, every hand raised and every eye closed in this room. I'm going to make an altar appeal. If you're in this room today and you've never received the Holy Ghost speaking in another tongue as the Spirit gives the utterance, it's not a crazy thing. It's not a weird thing. It's Jesus proving to you that He's living inside of you. If you're here today and you need deliverance, I feel very strongly that there are people in this room today that you are struggling with substance abuse. And you need a deliverance. Can I tell you that before you leave this room today, you can walk out of here never desiring another substance or drug abuse again. Here they come already. This altar's open. If you want a miracle, if you want God to do something in your world, if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm going to ask that we would please, oh, please come. If you would just come and pray with us. That's beautiful. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this room right now. Come on, this altar's open. If you need a life change, if you need God to change your world, can I tell you that there's a new beginning in this room? Can I tell you that you can have a new start in this room? Jesus can fill you with His Spirit. You can be delivered. Asking, would you please come and pray? Would you please come and pray? Yeah.